0: Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting his kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Today's message is Our Living Hope. His Pastor Philip Thomas. So, obviously been thinking a a lot about uh, the mission trip and, and that that's, getting kicked off, and, and every time I think of, of mission trips, and I've shared this story before, and I'll share it a little bit later today, but uh, I always think about my uh, experience as I was going into Sudan, Africa, and kind of the, the fear that gripped me when I realized, okay, I'm in Africa, I'm about to go and land, I didn't realize this, or I would have really been scared, land you know, on airstrips where there's broken down and crashed planes on the side of the airstrip. And uh, you know, kind of some interesting things. Uh, but I just opened up and started reading from First Peter, and so I was thinking about that this week, and uh, and and I realized, you know, I don't know if I've ever actually preached through First Peter, um, and so we're going to to begin that. We're going to start looking at First um, uh, and Second Peter, um, and and one of the interesting things that we find uh, with uh, Peter and James, um, they're kind of. Uh, the, the letters that are getting close to the end of the, the Bible, right? And if you flip too fast, you can't find them, right? Because they're only just a couple of pages. And so we don't spend a whole lot of time on them. We spend a lot of time typically in the Gospels and in the writings of, of uh, Paul. Um, Peter, James, they kind of are at the end, and then we want to stop before we get to Revelation for sure, right? Because that's freaky. So, so we, we, we tend to neglect those. And, and so I was like, you know, but there's some really powerful things that we can learn. So today the, the, the message is going to be, um, kind of a, a broad picture of where, where we're going and where the letter of First Peter. So we're going to be in First Peter chapter 1. Um, and, uh, and if you'll just kind of follow along, Chris, um, I'm going to read a few, uh, verses and then talk. So you, you just, Click around, so. <laughs> but but uh, you know I I love um, First Peter. I love First Peter. I love James. They're they're interesting uh, books. They're kind of a little bit different, and they're actually written. They're one of the earliest that are written. Um, these are, are you know the church is now growing. Um, um, we today actually we don't we follow a lot on the church calendar. Um, I've never specifically follow, followed Pentecost, today is Pentecost, which is the recognition, if you remember the story, and we've, we've done this before, um, in, in Acts, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus ascends into heaven and he says, go back and wait for the Holy Spirit, right? And all the disciples are like, what does that mean? Come on, tell me what, what does that mean? Well, they find out today right that's what pentecost sunday is is that they're they're realizing okay this is what the holy spirit is and and there is a miraculous event that takes place and they realize okay this is the message that we need to start sharing to the world and and peter starts preaching people are able to hear them in their own tongue right so that so it, it, it would be kind of like um uh, we uh, we go down to Honduras and I talk just like this and the people understand me Even though, because, and that that was the miracle, right? And uh, so it was a really neat thing that was happening. And that began the church. And so now the church is starting to spread. So these letters are written by some of these first pioneers of the early church. First Peter, obviously written by Peter. Even though, if you start looking at that, there'll be people will wonder, well, was it Peter or was it someone associated with Peter? It doesn't really matter. Right. Um, this is this is coming from from Peter, coming from his teachings, um, and and it's it's at an interesting time. So the church has been growing by this time. Um, they think that the this letter was probably written in the fifties or sixties. All right, not when the Beatles were popular, but but way before that. So, but you're you're looking at twenty to thirty years after the death and resurrection of Christ, okay? So, so things have been progressing. The church has been spreading. So now uh, Paul has gone on his journeys. Um, so uh, Christianity, if you will, what we would consider Christianity is starting to spread. Well, that also by this time is starting to cause problems. There's not widespread persecution, but there's always pockets of persecution. Sometimes that persecution was was very severe. People were losing their lives, right? That's not the only type of persecution that you can experience, though. Right? One of the, the big ones that was by this time for sure was starting to happen is that there was a clear separation between being a Jew and being a Christian. And and while the the early Peter and Paul and all of them, they thought that, hey, th- this was this is just basically a continuation of the Jewish faith. Well, that's not how it worked out, right? The, the, the Jewish leaders, they, relig- religious leaders, they did not go along. They considered that heresy. And understandably so. I mean, I, I think we can understand why that, that happened. But now there starts to be a big divide between Jews and Christians. So now, imagine you're being raised Jewish, right? You're going to synagogue. Then all of a sudden this guy named Paul comes in and starts talking because he's Jewish too. And he says, Hey, yeah, I'm Jewish, but now there's this, this, the Messiah, that God has sent the Messiah. And your parents don't believe that, but you really do believe that. Well, now you're having to break with a, the family uh, tradition, right? That causes problems. And there was persecution associated with that. Both directions, Right. Early on, it was Jews towards Christians more mainly. Then later we decided to repay that. So really some ugly history there. But that's that's some of the stuff that's going on. OK. And, and so Peter is writing uh, to a lot of different churches. Um, and we're going to, to jump into chapter one. Um, again, this is going to kind of be a broad picture of what first Peter is ultimately going to be all about. So the first couple of verses says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, I butchered all that, I know, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. All right, real quick, I'm not going to get into this a whole lot, but there's there's a, a theological landmine that, that is kind of presented with the, the language that is used here in these first couple verses, right? If you've ever been in a church that has started to have the debate between, and these are the theological terms, between Calvinism and uh, Arminianism, basically. Free will versus... God's, God's, uh, you know, sovereignty that he controls everything. That's oversimplification, right? Unfortunately, this has been a divide that has split Christians talk about persecution. There's been periods in history where depending on which theology you had, you would be persecuted by the person who had the opposite theology. I think all of that is stupid and I don't get into it very often because frankly, I don't necessarily care what you believe about this subject. Unless you are more passionate about your view of that theology than you are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then it becomes a problem. And that's where it becomes a problem in churches, is whenever it comes into a church and say a, a church is traditionally a, a free will church, right? And then you have a group that comes in, says, no, we're more Calvinist, and you are going to believe this view of God. That starts ticking people off, Right? And so we're not going to go there. But, and we're not going to solve this problem, right? This problem has been going on for centuries. And very smart people have, have looked at it and can go either direction of free will, we have free will, or God is going to determine everything, including salvation. Expect, And that's where it really comes down to. Do we have a choice to where we choose to, to believe in God and therefore we are saved? Or does God know already and he basically where you go, all right? So that, that's a simplification, all right? Um, I can make a biblical case for either side, if you really wanted me to. I am not going to do that, because I'm not going to expend that kind of brain energy again. I've done it before. But this does, this passage brings up a couple of words that are, it says, to God's elect. Ooh, the elect. Am I the elect? Then it also says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. All right? This is, this is a good one in support of a Calvinist view. Okay? So we acknowledge that. I tend, I, be honest, and if you need to leave, go ahead. I am more free will. I am not Calvinist. Okay? I Actually, there's a lot of things I actually agree within Calvinism. There's points in it. But overall, I am free will. But uh, if, if that offends you, then you were preordained to be offended, and you can leave. So, should we edit that? Um, okay, so anyway, the, just real quickly, this is not the point of the sermon. I'm going way too long on this. Um, so this, this is kind of, of, of interesting, because I, sometimes I step back, because theologically, you look at that and you say, okay, God elects people and he uses his foredained knowledge to see if they're part of the group, right? Well, those are words that were used by, by the Jewish people a long time. Why? Because God elected that group of people to be his representation in the world around us, right? They were his elect. That didn't mean that his love wasn't for everyone. But he specifically elected that group of people. That was part of their vocabulary. They used that a lot. I also look at this, and because people will read this, and they'll say, well, it, does that, is that talking to me? Am I God's elect? Which is a valid question, right? Did God uh, foreordain me to hear this message? And the answer is yes. Peter didn't know who was reading this, Right? Peter is writing this to many churches that are filled with Jews and with Gentiles and who may have had visitors that day when the letter was written. And he's giving a blanket statement. He's saying, hey, you are called to be part of something bigger. You are elected, right? Now, we can argue whether God knows from the beginning who's going to accept him and who's not it really doesn't matter because we function as free will people, right? And, and, uh, and so I, I don't want us to get hung up on that, but I also want to say, you know, I think this is a pretty just a generic thing that, got, that Peter is saying, hey, if you're listening to this, if you're reading this, this applies to you, that you're part of this group. God is calling you to do something, right? That, and that's important. Because sometimes I think we, we want the caveat of, we want the salvation, we want to be included in salvation, but we don't really want to be called out to do anything special. Uh, sorry, right? That goes, goes together. When you, you choose to enter into this new life, then God is calling you, he's calling you to do something uh, more, right? And, and that's what he's saying here, and so then, so that's the introduction, And then we get into verses three through five says, praise be to God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, let's stop there. A couple things that really jump out to me. It says, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into living hope through resurrection. All right? That's, that's, a, that's a really cool term, and we sung, sung the song, A Living Hope, today. All right? Uh, whenever I, I think of uh, of a living hope, I kind of think of a person that, um, have you ever been to, and I've never technically been there, but been to the four corners, um, what is it, Arizona and Colorado and Nevada and New Mexico, and, and like if you get all down, you can have a foot in uh, or a, a arm in four different states, right? So you're in four different places all at once, right? Kind of a, kind of a cool thought. And we know that, well, there's really no line there. It's all the same place. It's just dirt. But, uh, but it is, it is kind of being in two places at once. Well, whenever I th- think of the term a living hope, what it is basically saying is that we're in two places at once, right? Hope, the word hope, it's pointing to a future, isn't it? It's pointing to something that is better, something that we are looking forward to, right? I mean, the, the, the whole aspect of hope is future-oriented, but it's also a positive future-oriented, right? No one says, man, I hope that I'm in a major car wreck tomorrow, right? No, <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't go together, right? Hope naturally has a positive aspect of what's going to be happening in the future, Right. And so one of the main themes of of this book and that we see right here is that hope that is secure because of what Christ has done through us, through the resurrecting power of Christ, that our hope is now secure, that our hope it is a positive place. It talks about the inheritance, says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you uh, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Right. So so this hope, we know it's out there. And, and this is another thing, you know, sometimes we get, we get nervous talking about, you know, what's after this life and, and things like that, and sometimes we, we just want to, uh, we, we nearly want to avoid the topic altogether. But I, I think it's really important for us to say, no, there is something else out there. We don't know all the details, but there's, a, there's something after life where things are going to be made right, which that's going to include people needing to be held account, right? That's going to include overcoming evil. All of that stuff is going to happen. That is a future hope that we have. And all that we do now is not in vain, right? That there is something to look forward to, right? So there's one foot. We live there. It's important. It's important for us to recognize that hope. But it says not just a hope, we don't just have hope, we have a living hope. Whenever I talk about the term living, that is a present reality, right? That is, that is not a hope that we just kind of put off into the future, and then we're just miserable today, right? You know, that, that I can, can you remember as a kid looking forward to, to a certain vacation, Right? And like sometimes for like the month before, you're so excited about that vacation that you're kind of just miserable, right? You're like, I just want to go. You know, I just want to get away. I just want this to happen. And, and you're so focused on it that you're kind of just going through the motions and you're, you're miserable. If we're not careful, even as Christians, we can kind of have that approach that we're like, okay, I'm ready for this, you know. And and we don't we forget that no, it's a living hope. It makes a difference here. That's where the other foot is. We have a foot in heaven, if you will, and a foot on earth, right? And we're nearly in two places at once. And both of them are equally real. Right? We're living in this future hope, but we're also living in the present. Right? And and, and that is it is vital for us to understand that as Christians as those who are called to live for Christ we need to understand that we are in both places that Christ gives us that living hope so that even today when things are not the way that they should be that we still have hope but what this letter does is it it it, it talks about why this is so important and Basically, I think it makes the, the, the case that not only is Christ our living hope, but we need to be living in a way that we are living hope for others. Right? That when people see us, they, that we point them to Christ. We point them to the one who gives us hope so that they can start having hope today. And why is that so important? Well, because life isn't easy. And so we see in verse 6, In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, right? Do you hear the the feet in two different places, right? In all of this, you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice that you have an inheritance, that it's all going to be made right. But for a little while, you are going to have grief. You are going to have trials of different kinds. Those last couple of verses, those were the verses whenever I was getting ready to go into Sudan and I was started to realize this could be problematic. Right? There could be some real trials, you know, and and, uh, and you start realizing, whoo, that's that's a little scary. And I love how it says that. It says, even though you do not see him, you love him. Right? That's this hope, this faith that there is something more right? Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's the living part of hope, right? It's this hope that actually impacts us today, right? It's a living hope. And I experienced that. And I knew that there was no less risk of something bad happening. It was still there. But I was filled with an inexpressible joy because I knew that God was going to be with me and that no matter what happened, that I still had hope for the future. So Peter is setting up this case of how important it is that we are living kind of in these two places, a place of hope for the future, but it's a living hope because it impacts the present. And I just want to end on these three verses. Verse 13, skipping ahead. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, So it's made this case for this living hope. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And that's where we're going that's where it's headed, right? Why? Because you are the elect. (laughs) You have been called. You've been called to be different. You've been called to experience a living hope and to be a living hope. And the way that you are a living hope is by being holy, just as God is holy. It means that we live a different way, that we think a different way, that we view the world a different way, a way that shows a living hope to the people around us. And man, if you, if you haven't noticed, we, need, we live in a time right now where people need hope. And that hope is not found in a 2020 presidential election, no matter who you're voting for. It's not. And that's, I believe that that's why we're in the turmoil that we're in right now, is because people are looking for hope in places where it doesn't exist, right? And, and we've gotten suckered to thinking that our political system is going to give us hope. And we're getting miserable. And we're becoming divided. Listen, you can vote for whoever you want to, but you better secure your hope in God, the Father who sent Jesus Christ to redeem the world. That is where we find a living hope. We're going to experience trials of many kinds, right? Depending on which political aisle you may be experiencing a lot of them right now, or maybe you experienced a lot of them the previous eight years, right? We're going to experience that, but the hope that comes from Christ cannot be diminished, and it is a living hope because we have one foot in heaven. We are experiencing that. We know that's where we're headed. But we also know that God is not finished with us yet. And he is calling us to be holy just as he is holy. Let's go to him in prayer. Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas, 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512 661 We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.